Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue, and we're coming to you from the campus of Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Every 10 years, the U.S. Census Bureau takes the demographic pulse of the nation. 2020 is one of those years, and the agency will pay people to help gather the data. College students make up one of the groups that the Census Bureau would like to employ. Our guest is June Iljana, a media specialist with the Philadelphia Regional Census Center, to talk about how MTSU students can participate in this historic event after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. Global warming and climate change continue to generate discussion and analyses, and MTSU is offering a series of upcoming public lectures sure to inspire further scrutiny and debate. The MTSU Honors College began a 10-week look at climate change for its weekly spring lecture series beginning Monday, February 3rd. The lecture series is part of a long-standing Honors Upper Division class, but is also open to the general public. It's held starting at 3 p.m. every Monday, except March 9th because of spring break, through April 13th in room 106 of the Paul W. Martin Sr. Honors Building. This semester, students and the visiting public will hear climate change perspectives in philosophy, politics, economics, data science, and the Bible, among others. And MTSU now has a noticeable presence inside the junior achievement of Middle Tennessee's newest contribution to teaching Middle Tennessee secondary school students about financial literacy. Junior Achievement, a volunteer-driven organization that provides programs focused on work readiness, entrepreneurship, and financial literacy skills, hosted a grand opening Tuesday, January 14th of the Junior Achievement Finance Park, a state-of-the-art program that will serve 7th through 12th grade students across Middle Tennessee and is the organization's first such venture in the state. Located inside Junior Achievement's facility on Powell Place in Nashville, the roughly 8,000-square-foot park incorporates hands-on classroom activities along with a real-world simulation, providing students with a solid foundation for making intelligent, personal finance decisions throughout their lives. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. June, welcome. Thank you for being with us. Thank you very much. We are so glad that you made some time to, uh, to let us talk with your listeners about the census. Our pleasure. Why college students in particular? College students are at a unique point in life where this is probably the first census they've ever taken part in as an adult. And there are some interesting facts around responding to the census for college students, and we want to make sure everybody understands that. A college student, for instance, living at home with their parents, would be counted by their parents in that household. But for a lot of college students, this is their first time living on their own, and they need to understand that they need to respond to the census. Number one, they need to respond as the householder, and they need to count every single person living in the home with them. So if they have roommates, they need to count those individuals as well. If a college student is living in a dorm, they don't need to worry about it. They will be counted in our group quarters count, and they will definitely count. So they need to know how to respond as respondents as well as prospective employees of the Census Bureau. 
Oh, that's right. The uh, We have two missions as the Census Bureau. Number one, right now, we are trying to get enough people on our payroll to help conduct the census. We can't say exactly how many people we will end up hiring, but I do know that in Rutherford County, for instance, we are looking for about 2,600 people to apply for positions. The number we end up hiring is going to depend on how many people we have to visit to collect information because for the first time ever, this census will allow people to respond online on their computer or their tablet or telephone, really. They uh, they can respond to the census that way. If we get the turnout we're expecting for this and we get more people to respond on their own, we will need to hire fewer people. But we know we'll need people on the ground and we're paying a great wage for it. We're paying about $21 an hour in Rutherford County. And as far as the uh, technology is concerned, if they're capable of responding to the census on their phones, that would be the most convenient thing for them because I think that is the device that is closest to their hearts as well as their bodies. Yes, I agree with you. We have our phones everywhere. For students of of all ages, we have become so accustomed to using our phones and having information and um, activity available right at our fingertips. I think that college students in particular will be very responsive to the online option. But there are are other options for responding to the census as well. You can respond... um, by phone if you're more comfortable talking with someone to provide your responses. Or as always in the history of the census, you can respond on paper through the U.S. mail. Um, So those are the three options for responding. And if you don't respond, then we will send someone to your door to collect the information. What is a typical shift like? Or is there such thing as a typical shift for a census taker? The shift for a census taker is going to depend on the availability of the individual who's working for the census which is very nice because it's easy to fit a job as a census taker in with your other responsibilities. So if you're available, say, for 20 hours a week, you break that up however it works well for you, or you can work 40 hours a week if you have that much time available, which um, a lot of students will have that in the summer. So the census... People will receive their first invitation to respond to the census in mid-March, and then we will begin sending people to homes that haven't responded sometime in April. So the jobs will really run from April through probably June or even July, Um, but it will be in periods of about six to eight weeks at a time. Are there any jobs available for processing the data that is collected, or is that left to full-time Census Bureau employees? We do we do have a lot of office jobs available in our Franklin office, and those uh, responsibilities will include making sure that we um, appropriately handle the data that comes in from from our field staff, as well as um, hiring, training, paying all of these people who are on board. One interesting fact that I neglected to mention is that in addition to $21 an hour that a census taker can make, they also receive 58 cents per mile in travel reimbursement. Mm -hmm. So in this area, a person working for the census would most likely need to have reliable transportation. Mm -hmm. Um, for For some areas, public transportation will be fine, but for others, they'll need to have a car. And since I'm mentioning the requirements, census takers need to be 18 years of age, uh, mm-hmm. basically in March. And then they need to have the, that reliable transportation. They need to have 
um, a valid email address, and they need to have a valid social security number. There are other requirements you can find online. Right. It, you might have to go out to rural areas where the buses don't run, and that's why you need to have a reliable car. Exactly. Uh, so given college students' classes and their extracurricular activity schedules, the mm-hmm. schedule for a a student who wants to be a census taker can be as flexible as he or she desires, right? That's right. They can tell the Census Bureau when they're available to work, and then we work with that schedule to give them a route of houses that haven't responded to the census, and they can go to those houses. Um, They they are working at a time that they committed to be working. So um, it's not just on your own time as as you have time available, but you say, I'm available to work for these four hours, and then they will receive a a route of addresses to visit. They'll go and knock on the door and introduce themselves. And this is not cold calling. People know that the census takers are coming because they will have received a succession of mailings um, over a period of about five weeks, asking them to respond on their own. And then the final mailing will tell them that a census taker will come to their door to collect the information. And since this generation is particularly familiar with GPS, that should be very helpful in case they really don't know where the heck they're going. GPS is amazing. It probably makes the job go much more quickly and without, um, unless they have to come to a campus where buildings are hard to find. (laughs) Yes. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. This is MTSU on the record. Specialized training in forensic science prepares tomorrow's professionals through the Forensic Institute for Research and Education, or FIRE. The Forensic Anthropology Search and Recovery Team assists law enforcement with skeletal remains at crime scenes. Legendary forensic scientists provide lectures free to the public, and high school students work realistic crime scenes each summer at our CSI MTSU camp. I'm Dr. Hugh Berryman, Director of FIRE. For more details, visit mtsunews.com. The Tennessee Early Childhood Training Alliance, or TECTA, works to improve the quality of child care in Tennessee by establishing a statewide training and professional recognition system. Through TECTA, child care providers may be eligible for free orientation training, tuition support for early childhood academic courses, and networking opportunities, as well as other services. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Our guest is June Eljana, media specialist with the Philadelphia Regional Census Center, uh, to talk about how MTSU students can take part in the 2020 census. What is the training like? The training will be a couple of days where they will come in and they will learn the process of collecting the census responses. They will, very importantly, learn about their responsibility for protecting people's private information. They will also learn about personal uh, safety, conflict avoidance, and um, we take protecting the safety of census workers very, very seriously. We never ask anyone to go into a situation that they don't feel comfortable with or where they feel at risk, but we do provide training for how to identify situations like that. And then we provide training on the entirely electronic process now. They won't be filling out paper. They will actually be entering the information on a digital device and uploading it that way. So they'll learn that. And the Census Bureau will be providing the devices. Yes, yes, they will. And since we're responding for the first time online this year, uh, tell us what you can about the procedures the Census Bureau goes through to make sure that uh, data is not hacked into. 
Uh, the Census Bureau has invested millions and millions of dollars in a very secure system that includes safeguards such as storing all of the information that's collected at an off-site, unconnected location. And they have also worked to... Um, to create algorithms that uh, really ensure the protection of the data. Actually, let me back up and say that in a different way. Mm -hmm. We've hired uh, outside individuals to consistently try to hack into the Census Bureau system and, uh, and identify any vulnerabilities. In addition to that, the Census Bureau follows the most stringent um, federally required data protection standards and, and uh, Internet safety standards. Now, what if a young man or young woman um, wants to apply and they have to go through the background check and they know that, and in the back of their mind they're thinking, oh, what about that DUI I got when I was 16? What should they be thinking about that? We encourage every single person to apply because it, you'd never know whether what you you might be concerned about would or would not be disqualifying. It's a very simple process to apply. It's all done online. You go to www.2020census.gov slash jobs. That's J-O-B-S. <laughs> and it shouldn't take very long, about a half an hour to complete the application process. And then... Um, You'll hear back from the census when they are ready to process you through um, through that application process. I think the background check is is a wonderful thing because it's protecting all of us. It ensures that the people that we're sending to your home to collect your census information is trustworthy and that they are trustworthy to handle your personal private responses. So it's an important part of what we do. And I I encourage everyone just to apply and find out what happens. And especially since resume building is constantly on the minds of students, especially those who are getting close to graduation, talk a little bit about how having worked as a census taker uh, can enhance one's prospects with future full-time employers, if you have that on your resume. I hear from a lot of people that that is the reason that they've applied to be census takers, because they would like that initial work experience. Working for the federal government is a unique opportunity, and the Census Bureau offering these temporary jobs is a great foot in the door to experience that kind of environment. Um, any job that you take, and especially one that's outside working under your own steam, I guess you could say, mm -hmm. is a great way for young people or people new to employment or returning to employment to demonstrate that they have that stick to you know, to get out there and get the job done. So working for the federal government is just a great opportunity for anyone to show that they have the will to work and that they have the organizational skills that will benefit any kind of company. And then they'll have a reference, um, depending on how well they do, they'll have a reference for applying to their next job. And what about uh, the emotional intelligence or soft skills required for this job? Because you're going to be encountering people of all different racial, ethnic, cultural backgrounds, people of all ages, and it, uh, you know, it requires certain, certain kinds of people skills, like, for instance, if uh, an elderly person says, I'd rather fill it out on paper, not roll your eyes to the sky as if to say, oh, you're not digital, you know, that kind of thing, among other people's skills. 
You know, I really don't think that I could add anything to that or say it any better than you just did. I mean, you're absolutely right. We need people who can interact effectively with the public, all manner of the public. But we are also working very hard to hire people locally who can um, serve as census takers right in their own community and so that they're interacting with people who really are their neighbors. And I think that makes it easier to to interact in a genuine and respectful way with everyone. Time for another break. We'll return in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The Tennessee Early Childhood Training Alliance, or TECTA, works to improve the quality of child care in Tennessee by establishing a statewide training and professional recognition system. Through TECTA, child care providers may be eligible for free orientation training, tuition support for early childhood academic courses, and networking opportunities, as well as other services. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Tennessee Civil War National Heritage Area is managed by MTSU Center for Historic Preservation. A partnership unit of the National Park Service, the Heritage Area tells the whole story of America's greatest challenge, offering assistance with Civil War and Reconstruction Era programs. Our projects include historic driving tours, museum exhibits, and nominations to the National Register of Historic Places. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking about trying to get MTSU college students and other college students to work on the 2020 census with June Iljana, who is a media specialist with the Philadelphia Regional Census Center. Uh, Do you have any idea how many of the census takers this year will be college students as a percentage or how many as a percentage have worked as census takers in past censuses? I don't have information about the percentage of people that are college students, but I do know that we put a strong focus on reaching out to colleges. And like MTSU, we really appreciate your support in this effort. Um, I think it's an, a wonderful way to put it to college students is that this is really a chance for you to earn some extra money over the summer, the spring and the summer, but also to be part of history. This is something that college students, I'm sure, understand a bit about the census, but this is an opportunity for them to take a deeper dive into what this means to our nation, what it means to us um, as as a United States of America. This this census is the first census uh, created in the history of the world that is actually intended to share power over the government among the people rather than to just uh, uh, collect taxes or conscript people into military service. So we really have a proud tradition of our census since 1790, happens every 10 years. And and, you know, people can go back and check their family histories through uh, genealogy research using the census records. And and that's something that I think a young person now working on the census in 72 years, they'll be able to look back and, and, and see themselves reflected <laughs> in the census, I should hope. <laughs> now, in addition to programs such as this one, what does the Census Bureau do to increase awareness and understanding of the census among the college population? We have a staff just in the state of Tennessee. We have a staff of 24 people whose entire responsibility is to come out and work with 
uh, various different segments of our population and educate them about why the census matters to them. Because in addition to, as I mentioned, it's in our Constitution, the census is used to determine how many seats in the House of Representatives each state gets. That's huge because every state needs to have as big a voice as it deserves in our federal government. But what people often don't know about the census is that it is used to apportion our federal tax money back to the states based on their population. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a sharing the um, the resources among the, the different states. And um, for the state of Tennessee, every single person we count in the census matters to us financially. It brings money back that goes to our state and then to our counties and to our cities that fund things like um, fire departments, police. It funds education, public education, and um, health care. So just about any service that our government provides for us all is in some way impacted by the census count. So every person who's counted matters to us as a state. How does the Census Bureau make sure that there's no duplication of effort, that somebody doesn't come knocking on your door twice? Mm -hmm. We have algorithms within the system that identify, we compare responses, so a name, a birth date, and a location. If those things are all the same or, or different factors, then we're going to look at the multiple records and we're going to um, determine that this might be a duplicate, and then we'll follow up with that household to to try to resolve that question. That comes up a lot in some of our areas where we have a lot of um, vacation homes or for students, for example, if they're counted at their their parents' home or wherever they lived prior, and then they're also counted at the dorm. We compare all of these records uh, using algorithms. We're not sitting there looking at them, but um, anything that's flagged in our system, we can follow up on and make sure that we don't double count someone because the intent uh, of the census is to count every single person once, only once, and in the right place. How long does it take the Census Bureau to process all of the information from the census and then release the statistics to the public with a comparison of uh, how it fares uh, next to the census of 10 years ago? Uh, surprisingly quickly, actually, it goes surprisingly quickly. We are required to provide the the final count for each state to the president by December 31st of 2020. So we will have completed the counting process and all of the tallying. And at that point, the seats in the House of Representatives will be reapportioned. Then releasing the information to the public in its aggregate form. Remember, we Mm -hmm. are not releasing an individual's private responses to anyone. But releasing the data in its aggregate form happens by March 31st of 2021. And that information is used by the states to, for instance, redraw election boundaries um, and and districts from all levels from the state representation to the school boards or local districts. What kind of questions can we expect to see this time around? Are there any questions that are different or uh, new or differently phrased than 10 years ago? No, not to my knowledge. I haven't heard that there are any new or different questions on this one. Um, It's basically asking about the householder and whether they own the property or they're renting. Um, And then it asks a little bit of information about each person living in the home, such as their relationship to the householder. So we can put that the structure together. Um, It asks about their age 
well, date of birth, at sex, and their race. And that information is all put together to give us a snapshot of our community. But since I mentioned the relationship to the householder, for anyone who is um, going to receive a census form, which should be every single house in the United States and its territories, um, Every person living in the home should be counted regardless of their relationship to the householder. So if you are renting a room in your home to maybe a college student, Mm -hmm. uh, that person needs to be counted in that home as well. If you have, um, for instance, a child staying with you on a long-term temporary basis and that child is not being counted somewhere else, that child needs to be counted with you. And we, I know we have a lot of that going on. And young children ages zero to five are among our most difficult groups to count. So uh, they get missed or uh, they're living with two different homes and they and they just get missed. So we're working. So children of divorce go back and forth between mother and father if they have joint custody, right? Yes. There are a lot of reasons that children aren't living with their original uh, parents and they're living with other caregivers or they're living in more than one household at a time. So it's more important that we make sure we count them. And then when we compare birth dates and names and locations, we will catch if we count them twice. And the person or persons with whom you live do not necessarily have to be related to you to be considered as members of the household. If you are, if your boyfriend and girlfriend and you're living together, sharing an apartment, if your boyfriend and boyfriend or girlfriend and girlfriend living together and sharing an apartment, then you just have to count the number of warm human bodies. Don't count your dog. Don't count your dog. That's right. (laughs) Living in that particular domicile, right? That's absolutely right. If students at MTSU want to find out more, uh, how do they get in touch and how do they obtain that information? The easiest and really kind of the only way to uh, get more information, a ton of more information about working for the Census Bureau this spring is to go online to 2020census.gov slash jobs, J-O-B-S. Everything you want to know about working for the census is there, and a very easy application process link is right there on that website. Thank you so much for being our guest and for reminding us that this is a census year. And please, everyone, fill out your census form, whether you do it in analog or digital fashion. Thank you, June. We'll be right back. The Intercultural and Diversity Affairs Center helps to promote awareness and understanding of the wide variety of cultures represented at MTSU. The center provides information, referrals, and resources. Additionally, IDAC tries to make students from different cultures feel welcome and comfortable on campus so they can have every opportunity to fulfill their academic, social, and personal potential. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Women in Science and Engineering, or WISE, helps college women prepare for and become involved in science-related careers. WISE nurtures women's interest in these fascinating and critical fields and provides mentoring and networking opportunities. The group's main goal is to assure women of their importance in all scientific and technical fields and to promote equal opportunity and treatment of women in science. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte Gross, WISE advisor. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. Gina Fan has the middle moment. Americans for the Arts in Washington, D.C. 
noted in its recent report that nonprofit arts and cultural organizations are generating more than $166 billion nationwide each year and supporting 4.6 million jobs. These numbers are no surprise for Dr. Karen Peterson, Dean of MTSU's College of Liberal Arts, who's well aware that a solid fine arts education alongside degrees in liberal arts fields like history, English, political science, languages, philosophy, law, communication, and other social sciences creates an informed and employable person. She's even more thrilled about the economic impact of the arts in Tennessee. One of the things that we often overlook when we think about the arts in our community is the economic impact of the arts. And the, uh, the study that was just released by Americans for the Arts, Economic Impact Study, version 5 for the state of Tennessee, attributes $1.17 billion of industry in the state to the nonprofit arts and culture. That, to me, is something that we fail to recognize often. And we think of arts as an optional thing or something that only costs money as opposed to generating money. There are over 38,000 full-time jobs in Tennessee generated by arts and culture and $135, $136 million in local and state government revenue come up as a result of this type of activity. So it's important that we recognize that art has a value, an intangible value. What we fail to recognize is there's a tremendous tangible value to the arts and culture, particularly in Middle Tennessee, but across the entire state to the tune of over a billion dollars a year. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.